welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in Philippians chapter number four, and we've been going through uh, this portion of the scripture here about what Paul tells us to think about, what we should be thinking about. And uh, let's read our text here again uh, to kind of put everything within its context again here. Uh, So this would be Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 4 through number 9. And Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now I remind you that all of these verses that we've covered so far here out of chapter 4, really he's talking about how we can obey this command to be rejoicing always. And remember, to rejoice or to choose to rejoice, it's it's a decision that you choose to make. Um, irregardless of the circumstances, what's happening in your life. You're choosing to rejoice rather than uh, choosing to uh, be negative or to be upset about the situation, whatever whatever may be happening, but you're choosing to rejoice. And, uh, you know, really that decision to choose to rejoice stems from what we are thinking about how we are thinking about things. So if we're, if we're constantly thinking about things that are opposite of what Paul tells us to think about, then the, uh, the command of rejoicing always is going to be impossible for you to fulfill because of what you're putting in your mind, what you're allowing to come into your heart um, is going to have an effect on how you are viewing your circumstances that uh, you have found yourself in. And so uh, what we think about, and so he's stressing to them that the truthfulness of God's word should not be separate in our lives. It shouldn't be, uh, well, I know that I should be doing these things, but I'm over here doing this. Uh, the, the word of God should have an impact upon how we think in our lives and what we're doing uh, in our lives. And so it's important for us to allow the word of God to change our thinking and direct our thinking. And so last week we began looking at these virtues that Paul lists here in uh, verses, uh, verse 8. And we covered four of them, of the eight so far. And we're going to cover the other four today. But I'm just going to briefly go over the first four, just very briefly. Um, and to kind of get us back on, these are the things that we're supposed to be thinking about. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you again uh, for today, as we did last week. Do I think biblically? 
Do I think biblically? Am I thinking biblically of what the Word of God says I'm supposed to be doing and how I'm supposed to be thinking about those things? So let's uh, cover these here real quick here, the first four uh, that we looked at last week. Uh, We talked about whatever is true. So we're supposed to be thinking about true. That word literally uh, means to be not hidden. It means to be unconcealed. And so it's something free from deception and conforms to the facts of reality. So the things that are true, we need to be thinking about, not the, not the things that are not true, okay? Um, Christians are supposed to love the truth. We're supposed to speak the truth. We're supposed to be living in truth. That's Ephesians 4.25, 1 John 3.18. Um, what is true? Jesus Christ and his word is true. That's John 14.6. And uh, he also said in uh, John 17.17 17, when he's praying to his father in the garden, thy word is truth. He says, sanctify them through your truth. Thy word is truth. So uh, we should be thinking this way about things that are true. Now, you know as well as I do, there's a lot of lies in this world today that we live in, a lot of deception. So we can't go along with the deception. We can't go along with the lies. We have to go along with truth. We have to stick with truth. You know, you got people saying that, uh, you know, they're a, uh, you know, a six-year-old, whatever, and they're actually 45 years old. I mean, just weird, goofy stuff like that, okay? We got to stick with truth. Uh, We got to have that. So we got to have truth. And so uh, the word of God should be the source of truth for every believer. And so you need to have a thought life filled with truth. You should be able to discern truth from error. And you can do that if you're filling your mind with the truthfulness of God's word. Uh, Another thing that he talked about is whatever is honorable. This means honest, noble, to revere, to worship. And this is related to God's honor and his glory. Um, If other people could read our minds, what would would they see? Do we think of things that are focused on God, who he is, what he's done? Or is it filled with all kinds of other stuff? He says we need to be thinking about things that are honorable. Uh, Do our minds dwell on the things that are earthly, or are we thinking on things that are heavenly? Uh, That's what God's word commands us to do. He tells us, if you have been risen with Christ, seek the things which are above. Set your mind on things that are above, right? Um, So we need to have, be thinking about things that are honorable, things that bring honor and glory to God. Uh, Then he talked about whatever is just. This is righteous just. This refers to that which duty demands or what is right, correct, or correct to do. Uh, This is especially in reference to keeping God's laws. Do we think about God's laws, what he has commanded us in Scripture? Do we think about them? Do we say, okay, this is what God's word says. I'm going to do this. Do we think about those things? If our minds are filled with other things that are not uh, just as what uh, God's word describes, then we're going to have a hard time uh, fulfilling the command of rejoicing always. And so we got to think of whatever is just. Then we looked at this uh, other word here, whatever is pure. This word is related to the word for holy. It refers to that which has been separated out, and it is without impurity, so hence the word pure. And he says, we need to think about things that are pure or holy. It is free from every fault, unpolluted by sin. It is often used to describe those who are free from carnality and immorality. And it's translated as the word chaste. 
And so it's a quality that every Christian should be developing as uh, 1 John 3, 3 states, everyone who has this hope fixed on him, Jesus Christ, purifies himself just as he is pure. So it's thinking in your mind, I'm a believer in Christ, God wants me to live a certain way, I need to live that way. And you're pursuing purity in your life. Uh, so are the things that we see, hear, or read, are they pure? If not, then our mind is being polluted. And we need to be conforming our mind to think the way that God wants us to think. So these are just the four. So we're going to pick up here. Here's the last four here, the first one here. Whatever is lovely. So this is number five, actually. Number five. Whatever is lovely. Now this word here is a compound word. The first part is with or alongside. And then the second part is the word brotherly love. So we get the word with brotherly love. Some translations may read uh, with brotherly love, but whatever is lovely. Um, does anybody know what the, brother, brother, uh, the city of brotherly love is? Philadelphia. See, there's the word phileo, Philadelphia. So you have that brotherly love. And he's saying you need to think about things that involve brotherly love or with brotherly love. And so we need to be thinking about things which are lovely. The loveliness spoken of here is not just some shallow covering, but rather it's true, honorable, right, and pure. It's not just being like, hey, man, I love you. Like kind of we talk about like, I love pizza or I love, you know, whatever, right? It's, it's, there's, there's truth to it. There's honor to it. Um, it's right and pure. Lovely thoughts seek what is best for others. Thoughts of love, giving generosity, charity, mercy, grace are all lovely. You counter that with ugly thoughts are self-seeking and often at the expense of other people. And so um, we need to be thinking about brotherly love. How many of you ever heard the saying, beauty is only skin deep, right? But ugly is to the bone, right? So we need to be thinking about brotherly love. Okay? Thoughts of hatred, revenge, greed, envy are all ugly. So we may, we may be beautiful on the outside, but what's on the inside? See, that's, that's really the, the issue here. That's really the heart issue. What's on the inside? Okay? And we need to be thinking about brotherly love. So hatred, revenge, greed, envy, all of those things are not uh, good. They're all ugly, and they go counter to things that are lovely. So what does your mind dwell on? I mean... Do you think about things that, that are full of revenge, hatred, envy? I mean, is that, is that what comes into your mind? Or is it things of charity and grace and mercy, how you can extend that towards other people? See, that, there's a difference in our thinking there. Um, even people that, uh, you know, may not treat us right or people that uh, we don't think uh, deserve it. Uh, God actually tells us that we need to do that. I mean, remember what Jesus said? He's like... Um, if you only love those people that love you, he says, what reward do you have, right? Or if you only accept those people that accept you, what, what reward do you have? 
He says, you, you have to think differently. You have to live differently. So whatever is lovely. Um, how is this virtue seen in Paul's life? Well, I think the greatest demonstration of this virtue in Paul's life was his great compassion for those still lost in sin. Paul displayed his love and sacrifice to others in order to bring those still condemned by their sin into the safe haven of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few verses on this. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 5, really gives you Paul's heart of how he was thinking about those that were without Christ. And uh, he says this in Romans 9, verses 1 through 5, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their face, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so Paul says, really, I mean, his heart matter is the fact that he's saying, if, if I could somehow be cut off from knowing Christ so that others would come to know Christ, he said, I would. He says, I'm not lying about that. Is that our heart intention towards others? I mean, do we have lovely thoughts towards those that are without Christ? I mean, I get it. I, I understand, you know, us in, that have known Christ for quite some time, we've, we kind of lived so long in a certain way that when we see people that do not know Christ and how they act, um, you know, yeah, it's crazy. It's not right. But do we have compassion towards them? Not, not accepting sin here, okay? There's a difference. But I'm saying, do we have compassion towards them that they would hear the gospel and come to know Christ? See, that, that, that was Paul's heart there. He, he had that, whatever thoughts were lovely, and he, he thought about that. Um, Paul sought out ways to give himself for others, uh, how, he could, how he could do things for others' sake. Uh, that was uh, what Paul did. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. I want to show you another thing that, that how Paul thought about these lovely thoughts and how it changed the way that he lived his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 23. <laughs> Look what Paul says here. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. 
The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aridus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped by his hands. Paul says, I've endured all of this stuff for other people because I love them and cared for them because I wanted to give them the gospel. Is that, is that our type of thinking of how we think in life? I don't think it is. You know what we usually do? We look out for numero uno, right? Number one only. Got to want to make sure that I'm the one that's protected here. Paul says, I'm willing to put my life in danger for others. I have lovely thoughts towards others in this way that he thought about them. Back in uh, Philippians 1.9, uh, we see how Paul, his love towards, towards the Philippians, he says, uh, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And so, you know, we should have these lovely thoughts towards other peoples. We should be praying for them and praying with them. Uh, that's the way that Paul said. He says, these things you have seen, you've heard, you received, you've seen in me, you learned about them. He says, I've, I've been living this, and I want you to live this way too. I want you to change your thinking and have lovely thoughts. So whatever is lovely. Here's the next thing. Uh, this number six here. Whatever is commendable, commendable or of good report, this word combines the word for good or well with the word for fame or reports. And it hence means good report or commendable. We are to let our minds dwell on those things that bring a good report. Remember when the uh, children of Israel went into Canaan there and they went to go spy out Jericho, the land, all that stuff? How many spies went into Canaan there? Twelve. How many of them brought back an evil report? Ten of them. How many brought back a good report? Two. Remember, God says, I want you to go up. I want you to do this. I'm going to do this for you. Everything's taken care of. But the people were persuaded by what? The evil report. You know how many evil reports that we encounter in day-to-day living? So many. Don't be persuaded by the evil reports. You have the truthfulness of God's word and you need to stand on the truthfulness of God's word regardless of what anybody else says. Even if it's an evil report, you stand on the truthfulness of God's word. So whatever is commendable, this virtue here, every Christian will face hardships and trials and this virtue directs us to place more emphasis on the positive of what God is doing rather than dwelling on the negative. I mean, I'm sure if we could all go around in this room and talk about how hard life is. Life is hard, right? Absolutely. But look at what God is doing in the midst of all of our difficulties. I mean, I just read to you everything that Paul went through. That's a hard life. I mean, how would you like to get beaten with a rod three times? And we're talking about a rod. I mean, I'm talking like something like this. I mean, how would you like to get beaten with a rod? That's hard. Every man has back trouble. I'm sure Paul had some back trouble, right? 
But he looked at all these circumstances. He says, I'm going to focus in on what God is doing in the positive, how God is at work in all of this. I'm not going to focus in on all the, all the problems that I have. Remember where he was when he was writing this? He's under house arrest. People were slandering him, saying on the good things of what God was doing. Remember what I talked to you about a few weeks ago about giving the sacrifice of praise that should be on our lips? That's Hebrews 13.5. Through Jesus, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Do we offer up sacrifice of praise to God for what he is doing, even in the midst of difficult situations? That's what we should be doing. And so when you face a trial, you can either dwell on the difficulties involved and how hard life is, which can easily lead you to blaming God for the bad things that happen. Or you can look for how God is using the situation in your life and praise him for it. Uh, In addition, you know, our mind is quick to dwell on what is of good. If our mind is quick to dwell on what is of good report, then you will not grumble or complain because there's no fuel for that fire. It just stops. Sad to say, but there's a lot of people that when difficulties or hardships come in their life, the first thing that they do is they get on Facebook, they get on uh, the telephone, they get on the text messaging, whatever, and they start complaining of how hard and difficult their life is. Well, everybody has a difficult life. But you have to think on things that are of good report. And when you start doing that, that kind of complaining and grumbling will stop because it's a different way to think. How is this virtue seen in Paul's life? Well, we saw this in uh, Philippians 1, Paul's response to his own circumstances, right? He's saying, "I'm, I'm rejoicing that the gospel is continuing to go forward even though I'm still stuck here in prison. He says, God is using this in a great, great way. Paul focused on what God was doing and was able to give a good report to the Philippians. So God was using Paul in all those situations. So how are you doing at keeping your focus on what God is doing instead of your own circumstances? Can I suggest to you, many of you probably know the song, um, Count Your Many Blessings, right? You know, when we're, when we're in times of, of difficulties and trials, what you ought to do is you should really count your many blessings. And when you start to do that, it really will surprise you what the Lord has done. Well, I got a bad toothache. Are you dead? No? Okay, praise God. Right? We've got to look at it differently. We've got to be thinking differently. So whatever is commendable. Then he says this, whatever is excellent. This means virtuous or worthy. This word is of wide significance, and it refers to any excellence of a person or thing. But really in the context of what uh, Paul is using this word here, it refers to excellence in moral character and judgment. In fact, it's included in the list in 2 Peter 1.5, and he says this, Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And so this virtue is one of the things that we're to be continually adding to our faith, of having moral 
excellence, thinking about things that are morally right and pursuing excellence in those things. You know, I would think that we don't have to look too far uh, to see in our society that the sinfulness of man is put on display for others. <laughs> Just think about this whole month in general, right? Knowing, knowing the judgment of God, knowing that those things are right, they flaunt it and give full-heartedly approval to those that do such things. Just think about the past year, the lies, the deception, things that are coming out. And yet these people are placed on pedestals as if they have all the answers. We're not supposed to be thinking about those types of things. We should be thinking about things that are morally excellent. You see, a person of moral integrity and virtue is a person who is not satisfied with a standard of society. They're not satisfied with just what society can tolerate, but they strive for excellence of character in all circumstances. How is this virtue seen in Paul's life? Well, I think there's many illustrations of this in Paul's moral excellence, but a couple of them that I can think of, one of them uh, having to do in Acts 15 and also in Galatians 2. In Acts 15, we find that Paul and Barnabas are in the middle of a great dissension and debate uh, in Antioch concerning whether you had to obey the customs of Moses in order to be saved. In other words, that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul was sent as a part of the group of representatives from Antioch to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem to get their advice on this crucial matter. And Paul and Barnabas then related their experiences in taking the gospel to the Gentiles on their first missionary journey. And Paul's virtue in all this is that in seeking the godliest counsel possible and then following it. And so he pursued moral excellence in that. Then we see in Galatians 2, we find that Paul confronts Peter face to face because of Peter's hypocrisy, Peter partaking in the uh, Jews' hypocrisy of not willing to have anything to do with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. So here's, here's Peter preaching the gospel, and then all of a sudden when the Jews would show up, he's like, oh, we, uh, uh, we can't do that. You guys need to be circumcised. And then he, would, he was playing the hypocrite. So Paul shows up, and he confronts Peter face to face, and he tells him, he says, Peter, you're to blame for this. He says, what you're doing is wrong. You're acting wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And so Paul pursued excellence, moral excellence, by sticking true to what the Word of God teaches and not following what these other people were wanting or desiring or doing. And so he pursued moral excellence. You see, excellence is defined by what reflects God and his will, not human fears or desires. That's so important. So let your mind dwell on how you can demonstrate faith in God, knowledge of rights and wrongs, self-control, perseverance, brotherly kindness, courtesy, and love. Here's the last one. Whatever is worthy of praise. Now this virtue refers to that which the godly would praise. It is a summary category that includes the previous ones for what is true of 
worthy of praise. What is honorable is worthy of praise. What is just, pure, lovely, virtuous, and of good report are all worthy of praise. Everything reflective of God and his character is worthy of praise. In moments and times of difficulties, do you praise God? See, it's a choice. You have, you have to deliberately make the choice to praise God, regardless of the circumstances. How did Paul do this? How, was Paul, how did Paul live out this virtue? Well, one way is in Paul's quickness to give praise to God for so many diverse things in the midst of so many different circumstances. Acts chapter 16 tells us about Paul and Silas being unjustly beaten and thrown into prison. Remember the story? They're there, they're locked in prison, and while they're in there, what are they doing? (laughs) Is that what they did? What did they do? They praised God. There's a difference. In all of Paul's letters, we find him correcting doctrinal errors within the church or dealing with weak areas within the church. And as he's striving to do this, he's encouraging people to live out the truthfulness of God's word. And in every part of that, when he's addressing the church, you find it through the letters, and I'll give you a few of these, but he's telling them and he's praising God for them, even though he's about ready to correct doctrinal air within the church or strengthen areas that need strengthened, he praises God for the situations and the circumstances that are going on. Here's just a few for you. Romans 1.8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He's praising God there. I'm thanking God for you. Their faith is being proclaimed. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.15-16, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Colossians 1, 3 through 4, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Philippians 1, 3 through 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all. Making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3. We give thanks to God always for you all, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So are you able, as a believer in Christ, are you able to think through situations enough to find the things about which you can give thanksgiving to God or praise to him. That's how we have to change our thinking. Paul was thankful for their faith in Jesus Christ, even in the midst of some of the most hard things that he had to deal with with a lot of these churches. And so when we think of what Christ has done for us, that should help us change our mind from focusing on the temporary to the eternal. We need to get our minds thinking about who God is, what Christ has done, how he has saved us, how he has redeemed us, how he has brought us back from the dead. And we need to be thinking about those things.
praiseworthy things, not just on the temporary things that might get us upset or distract us. And really, you're going to see, because of the way as we go th- move through the rest of this passage here later on, you're going to see that's how Paul was able to be content in every circumstance. Whether he was abased or whether he was abounding, he was content in every circumstance. The Pacific golden plover is a bird between the size of a robin or a crow. Small little guy. And each year it makes one of the longest migratory journeys. It breeds on the high Arctic tundra of Alaska and winters in the islands in the Pacific and often on to Australia. Regularly, this bird covers a distance of 2,000 miles in flight, all the way from the Arctic tundra all the way down to the Pacific Islands. And in that trip that bird makes, it is a non-stop flight. Before the bird can make such an incredible journey, it must get filled up on its food supply in order to have enough energy to make the journey. And it has to eat certain types of bugs, berries, that are of high nutritional value that is going to give the bird enough energy to make the flight. And so if it spends its time eating things that are not good for it, it's not going to have enough energy and it won't make it because a majority of that distance is over water where there's no place to land, there's no place to rest, and there's no food. But it makes that journey. The journey is long, it's hard, and it's difficult because of what the bird is able to eat before it travels through. If you are putting in garbage into your mind 168 hours out of the week, I think that's right, 168 hours in a week, if you're putting in garbage in your mind 168 hours of the week and you expect to come for one hour and listen to truth and praise God, and expect to actually go through life with not having difficulties and trials and hardships and to have the right type of focus of rejoicing always, you're out of your mind, okay? You have to, have to, have to be in the word. You have to, have to, have to be putting in the right things so that way you can rejoice always in every circumstance. It's hard. I know it's hard. It's difficult. I know it is. But you have to be disciplined. We have to do that. Or we're not going to survive. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.